I woke up on Saturday morning, I looked at the Google Analytics and saw something like 500 or 600 simultaneous visitors to our website. Most employees would rather have the boss who at least tells them where they stand than the one who doesn't. You're listening to The Growth Show, a podcast that uncovers interesting stories and advice on growth from every corner of the business world. What's the hardest thing you've ever had to say no to? Uh, so many things, actually. I, when I think about saying no, could be as small as saying no to caffeine, which I haven't had in decades. Uh, or it could be the time where I actually said no to working at HubSpot. Yeah, that was a bad idea. And uh, changed my mind. And uh, turns out that was a really good decision. But you know, for a whole host of reasons at the time, it didn't seem right. And uh, I'm excited that on today's episode, we're going to hear from a lot of really great people. Michael Praisman from Everlane, Kim Scott, the author of Radical Candor, Chris Savage, co-founder of Wistia, around what they had a really hard time saying no to because... There's a lot of lessons to be learned in those really difficult moments. Yeah, and oftentimes it's that moment of saying no that can actually set you up for the next stage of your career or the next stage of your business because you made that choice. Yeah, it's interesting. Life changes at yeses and nos, and what we get to look at today is really where nos can sometimes take you, and when saying no is actually a really great thing. Absolutely. Let's dive in. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, VP of Marketing at HubSpot. And I'm Kit Bodner, CMO at HubSpot. And welcome to this episode of The Growth Show. So first up, could you turn down a deal that would have completely transformed your company and vastly exceeded your financial goals? Chris Savage from Wistia, he did it. So almost 10 years now at Wistia, what was the hardest thing that you've had to say no to in that period of time? Um, the hardest thing I've had to say no to. That's a good question. Um, I think like for the, okay, yeah. I, I think for the impact, I'll just tell the story. So um, when we'd been going for, took us a year to find our first customer and we were jumping around for with different ideas mm-hmm. before that. And then we found our first customer and we're like, oh my God, that's amazing. And then um, the first customers using Wistia, as I mentioned before, for private video sharing. And once we got this private video sharing thing going, we're like, wow, I can imagine people can use this, like video production companies and, mm-hmm. um, you know, internal training at big companies and all this stuff. So we're going and we're trying to talk to all these different people. And somehow through the grapevine, I get connected to HBO. And <laughs> nice. um, I Great get connected story. to the head of production at HBO. And so three months after our first customer, I am flying out to LA with Brendan we are showing up at a meeting with the head of production at HBO about using Wistia for all of their dailies. So the dailies was like the footage they shoot yeah. every day that to to manage all of their dailies for all of their production. Um, and they had what they called at the time like the Tom Hanks problem. And Tom Hanks has this castle that he lives in in Ireland, and he spends a lot of time in Ireland in his castle. And I did not yeah, know that. That's and, that's, and, that's the amazing story. Yeah. yeah. And every day, someone in LA would actually, this actually is how it worked, and it may still work like this, sorry, would take a DVD of the dailies for the shows that he was producing on. I think it might have been like Band of Brothers at the time or something. 
and they'd get on a plane, they'd fly to Ireland. And someone would hand him a DVD of the dailies. So he would wake up and there would be a DVD and he would watch like the dailies. Or maybe he didn't even watch them. I don't know. <laughs> so they, they're like, they're really excited about using Wistia for this. And there's a bizarre backstory about the company that like introduced us to them and like mm-hmm. got us there. Sure. And so we are, we're meet with them and they're excited about it. And they're like, you know, we think we want to use Wistia for this thing. And it's just Brendan and I. We have one other guy who's now on the team just starting to help us. They needed like a set-top box. At back at the time, that's what they kept saying. Like, we need a set-top oh, box. Wow. Christian. So we took a, a Mac Mini and we hacked it to a, a booted into a browser. So it was mm-hmm. just like a browser version of Wistage. You could use a remote. You could go see all this stuff. And so then we we're talking about pitching this deal. And we came up with a price. And the price we came up with, we're like, all right, it's like, uh, you're going to have, you know, 500 people using this thing. It's going to be like these locations, like service fees. And there was another intermediary that was like helping us like negotiate yeah. the deal. And so we pitched them on a deal that was like three quarters of a million um, that for them to like per year for them to be mm-hmm. Wistia customers. And we sent this over to them and they're like, yeah, this looks pretty good. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. God, I am so good at business. That's what I thought. I was <laughs> just like, this. I was like, this is incredible. Like, we got this customer, and then three months in, like, we're just gonna close this. We've massive made it. Deal. We've made yeah, it. Yeah, and I'm just we're like, done. you know, my dream when we started getting customers was like to get to like 60k a year because Brendan and I could each make 30k, and we're like, we can live on 30k. <laughs> so this 750,000 thing was like such a big deal. So then, you know, as a part of the deal, they're like, oh, we're gonna need sit, we're gonna need support here, we're gonna need to, we're gonna need to have an on-premise thing, we're gonna need to have all this other stuff. And Brendan and I were just like, you know, if we do this, we're probably gonna have to move to LA because that's where their head their production offices are. Also, I'm not technical, so it's all on Brendan. Um, <laughs> and we ended up deciding, no, we're not gonna do this. We walked away from it. That was hard to do. That that would have been massively hard to do, especially at the stage the company was yes. in. That this, that's tough. That was hard. I think to you do. made. I think you made an excellent decision, but yeah, it was, it was yeah, not. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it was an easy one. Yeah, it was hard. It was like when we finally hit seven hundred fifty thousand revenue. Uh, I was like, man, that was the HBO deal. And it's like four <laughs> years later now, but <laughs> but it was a much better, much better. Oh yeah, no, it was absolutely the right decision. You yeah. know, but it's still crazy. That that is really crazy. HBO. He said no to HBO. Un- he said no to $750,000 a year. Unbelievable. I I don't know if I would have had the stomach to do that, to be I, honest. I, I don't think I would have. And think about how fundamentally different Wistia as a company would be if they had made that decision. We have to back it up. Not only, we're, we just answered that question as present day us. He was like 25. Right. Would 25-year-old Megan have ever made that decision? That kind of money, that kind of brand coming after Living me? Living in LA, hanging out. Yeah. like. Man has some serious focus. Uh, and I think it, it shows in, you know, that was one decision that kind of defined his company, but it also was a it was evidence of the type of leader he is. He knew what Wistia could be, and he wanted to take it on its own route. Yeah, when I think about what he really did is he took a minute to understand the company he was trying to build and realized that this was a very different company. Right. A, a good company, a, a company worth having. The, the problem HBO needed solved, 
or really Tom Hanks. Who knew Tom Hanks had a castle, by the way? We got to talk about that. I need to see Tom Hanks' castle. Yeah, like, is there some tour in Ireland where I can just hop on a bus and, like, get my picture taken in front of Tom Hanks? There's always Tom Hanks' castle? Yep. Yeah, I think that's all Ireland is right now. It's just Tom Hanks' castle tours. That'd right. be great. Uh, so I think when you, when you kind of peel back what happened there, that, that business was valuable, but it wasn't what Chris and his co-founder started out to build it's kind of they got pulled into that through hbo and this problem and most of us would have said yeah i'm gonna get pulled in that direction and the outcome is they probably would have done that for a couple years somebody would have bought the business and they would have been on to the next thing yeah but instead they stayed true to their original mission said no took them years to get to that uh, that revenue that hbo offered them so early on i love that line that moment where they crossed the hbo line and finally had caught up to where, financially, I guess, to where they could have been otherwise. And it's like, it's a real chip to have on your shoulder yeah. that entire time, right? That's got to motivate you though, right? Well, it's got to motivate you, but at the same time, you have a bad day, you're going home, you're like, oh, shit, taking the freaking HBO deal, yeah. right? Like, yeah. that's, that's hard. And that's, that's got to make tough times a little tougher. But what Chris did so well was knew what he wanted to build. And because of that, he's built a really enduring company a company that is now what he wanted what he originally visioned and you know is a really well-known brand in the space key player in that video market that would have never happened if he hadn't said no and i think for people listening this is really a story about staying true to the mission and staying what you intended to build or what you intend to do versus what somebody else uh, wants you to do and there's one more point to add in here which is something you mentioned earlier he had a co-founder. This was a no decision that they had to make together. And they're still strong co-founders of the company. They stuck together on that decision, and they've shaped the company together as a as a result. Yeah, they were they were two dudes making sixty grand between them in a little apartment, and they said no to that. And I think if you're listening, sometimes a short term yes is way less valuable than the long term no, and the value that Chris has created for his team himself and for all of us because he said no has been immense and so it's a wild story wacky story but it's full of really really important lessons well put you know megan sometimes saying no is about focusing and let's hear michael praiseman from everlane talk about why he chooses to say no and turn down opportunities What's the hardest thing you've had to say no to and just walk away from, even though maybe at the time it seemed awesome, but you had to say no? We say no to almost everything. So, you know, we haven't done a single partnership um, in a meaningful way, uh, and we've definitely been approached a lot, and they seem interesting and they seem great. They might try sales for whether it's a large department store or another brand, and we just say no to everything uh, on that level because we're so focused uh, on building our own thing and just you know, when you start to do things with other people, it's like you have double interest, um, you know, it just becomes distracting uh, and it becomes hard to know who's like running it and who's in charge. And so we've said no to so many opportunities to grow our customer base and expand. uh, But it's, we think it's the right thing long-term. So Megan, what's interesting from listening to Michael is that he's all about the focus and he solves on like the far spectrum of he's willing to even, I think, pass up on potentially good opportunities right. for the sake of focus. And I think if you're somebody listening to this story, 
you have to be wondering, is that, is that what I should do? Am I better off to, to say yes or say no when I'm presented with these opportunities? What do you think? Well, you know, it's interesting because the example that he gave was around partnerships, right? Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, like we like partnerships. Partnerships have led to growth spurts for us and new audiences. And so I was listening to this and wondering, you know, is, is the answer really no partnerships? But I think the value in what he's saying is it's not necessarily about partnerships or second products or new verticals. It's really just understanding, like, what is the view that you need to have and not let anything else get in the way. So if that view includes partnerships because that's going to help you get to that next level or um, get introduced to a new audience, that's fantastic. But for him, it's like he's got such clear vision around where he's headed that any distraction to that, he just cuts out. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And I think what they've really done well is understand what their core focus areas are and not let themselves get distracted in in any ways and that's really hard to do when you're their size i think you know they're less there's still less than 100 people right and there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done in a in a small uh mid-sized company of that size and so staying focused is critical but it's also well, you're a couple years in a lot of people like the brand like the company totally. coming to you with lots of new ideas how do you how do you not do them and you don't want to squash those ideas internally uh, because you want to encourage people to be creative and to help you build the future of the company, but you also need to maintain that focus. I think one of the hardest things that he seems to do really well, and you just alluded to this, is focus on both the near term and the long term simultaneously. So knowing what you need to achieve this month, this quarter, uh, but then also having a sense of where this field is going. Do you ever kind of struggle with that balance between short-term and long-term and where you should put your attention? Yeah, you know, I think the short-term and long-term is the it's a constant struggle. And, you know, I think about even getting started this year at HubSpot, it's like we have a lot of things we want to do. And some of those things impact today yeah. and impact those today very, very much so. And some of those things, they're not going to impact anything this year. Yeah, they're 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 a next year, two years from now type of thing, and making the pie chart there, right? What right. percentage you're going to spend on today versus next year? It's a really tough decision because it affects budget, affects focus, and and all of these things. And so I think if you're listening, you can't you can never have a pie chart that's a hundred percent one or the other, right? But what you have to do is think about very carefully your distribution, and I think. You know, from our experience in the early days of HubSpot, one thing that I thought we did really well was we focused on what I call like paying the bills every month. It's like, what do we need to do this month, this right. 30 days to be successful, to like live to see another month? And we, we kind of really took it month by month and, and really grinded it out. And now we kind of have enough light at the end of the tub- tunnel where we can we can look a lot longer down the road. But when you're earlier stage, it's it's definitely much short-term focused. And I think you picked that up in Michael's story. Yeah. Do you rem- remember when that shift happened? Was it two years in? Was it, you know, three years in? When did you able when were you able to sort of see the light at the end of the tub- tunnel and start to think long-term in addition to just what are we going to do this month? So I think about the challenge that we had at HubSpot was the vision was big. The vision, we had this vision that we were going to build this broad, all-in-one marketing tool that anybody, any mid-sized company could use to execute their, their marketing online, which actually comprised a lot of different applications. And we were also going to teach people how to do marketing in a right. completely different way. Yeah. 
your old marketing playbook is broken. You need this new inbound marketing playbook. And that took a long time. It wasn't until those two things, I think, were really realized to some degree in the market that we could focus beyond them. And so I think partially that time horizon is around how big your vision is and how how soon you can realize it. You know, I think for Michael and the folks at Everlane, they have a pretty big vision to be yeah. this a transformative fashion brand. And I imagine it's going to be a long time before they can think long, long term. Sure. All right. So sometimes the reason you have to say no at work has nothing to do with work at all. We're going to hear from Kim Scott next about the hardest thing she's ever had to turn down. What's the hardest thing that you've ever had to say no to in your career? Um, when I was uh, five months pregnant with twins, I had my, and I was 40, so it was a, it was a very high-risk pregnancy. My, my OB had said to me, anything you're thinking of doing, you should ask yourself whether that thing is more important or the hearts and lungs of your children are more important because that's what you're doing right now is baking hearts and lungs. And right right around the time she had told me that, somebody, somebody came and asked if I wanted to be <clears throat> CEO of a company that I really loved and admired and respected, and I, I couldn't even entertain it. Uh, so that was, it was hard to say no to that. Gosh, yeah, I can't even imagine. I mean, you obviously made the an amazing choice and the right choice there, but that that's that's a difficult situation. It, it shows the, how timing plays a factor into so many of these things in your career. Yeah, timing timing is big, but you know what? I'm glad. I really, I'm really glad. It, it turned out to be good both for my career and and also obviously for my family. <laughs> yeah. But it was it was. I've got everything I want ever wanted professionally. I'm starting a company. I've, I've written and I'm getting a book published, which was a li- lifetime goal. Um, and I've gotten, I've, I've gotten a chance to work with some amazing people. So, so it all worked out, even though it seems like a big deal in the moment. And when that, when that company went public, I remember thinking that I was going to have a, a moment of intense envy for the person who did become CEO. And in fact, I, I felt just the opposite. I was like, ah, better him than me. Um, so, so you never know how life is going to work out. So that, there's that. <laughs> My heart is just, I felt every single one of those moments of tension. That's unbelievable. It's funny because I think we're constantly, all of us are constantly in this balance of, your career and your family and your personal passions, writing a book, for example, and much of life is just figuring out, you know, how to say no to one to say yes to the other and how to balance those things back and forth and how to shift the balance when that time comes. Uh, And those are not easy decisions to make. Sometimes life throws you a hard no. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes no isn't your decision to make. Right. And I think that's what this story is like fundamentally about is that sometimes you get presented with a decision that really isn't a decision and that you just have to. There's a very clear path of action and it's almost like you wish you weren't presented with it. Right. Right. Because then you have then, you know, and then there's like there's a there's the worry of regret. And that's like the thing. One of the things we haven't talked about today is 
is that as, as individuals and as people listening to this, it's like, how do you live a, a career without regret? And I think one of those is understand what your priorities are, because the really important part of that story to me was not that initial part that really pulls at your heart. It's the, it's the part where she talks about, I have everything I want. Right. You know, she has she has everything she wants. She's got an amazing family. She's gotten to do so many things. Quite frankly, I think her content on Radical Candor is amazing. And I think she will have a massive impact on leadership and companies around the world through that. Um, but it's hard to know in that moment that you're going to have everything you want years down the road. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, that positioned her for that moment where that company went public and he she was able to be okay with it. And more than okay she was able to feel good about it and underscore that decision once again. I think there's so much to understanding how circuitous life can be and and how um, the decisions that you make just lead you down a different path. And you can always come back to what you were doing before, but you have to feel good about every decision you make in the moment. Yeah, when, when we think about Kim's story, you're out there. The way I think about this is there's sometimes you must say no. And there are some people listening today that are probably thinking, ah, I should probably say no, but I could probably get by. I could probably right. do this. this is, it's probably going to be okay. There are some things in life that are just binary. Yeah. They're, they're okay or they're not. And this is one of those times where it's a binary decision. There's no self-rationale or rationalization here. It's you have to make a decision. Moving forward, by the way, I'm going to just call that a heart, hearts and lungs decision. <laughs> Yeah. Regardless of what yeah. it is, if it's if it's related to family or children, if it's related to something else that is critically important to you, that's a hearts and lungs decision. Her description of that story is great. And sometimes you need that type of detail to make really, really great decisions and think about how it impacts your own life. So I really appreciate Kim sharing that with us so that we could all learn a little bit more about when we really do need to say no. Absolutely. So today's episode, in a nutshell, whew, that was yeah. some that's, that was some stuff. It's a good one to leave on. Yeah, get uh, we, first step: get okay with saying no. There won't always be terrible con- consequences. I'd follow that up with saying no is about being focused, and sometimes you just have to say no if you think about Kim's story. Definitely, and and sometimes that decision to say no might open up doors for you more so than the decision to say yes. It might put you on a path that was really the way you were meant to be. Um, things that drive your company, your career, your life forward. These are the actual things that say no enable you to, to do and the things you want to be doing. Yeah, totally. Uh, to quote the myth, the legend, Dr. Phil, yes. he actually said one time, there's no right decisions. You just have to make your decision right. I never thought that Dr. Phil would get into one that of was these the episodes. Whole, that was, I, I was waiting. You, ha- you have waiting. one uh, chance. That's it now. It's over. My work here is done. <laughs> All right, so this is the second time we're trying this new format, and we'd honestly love to hear what you think about it. We're learning as we go. So leave leave us a review if you can in iTunes, or send us a note to growthshow at hubspot.com. Like, really, we're real humans looking at this. Please, please do it. All right, we'll see you next time on The Growth Show. Thanks so much.